today's scripture is 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for his name, the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that, in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day, Lord God. We thank you, Father God, that, that as we are created to worship, we can gather here and worship your name. We can gather here, Father God, as one, Father God, and lift you up. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, open our hearts, open our minds, and open our ears, that we would hear your word, that we would learn, Father God, and more importantly, Father God, that we would spread this throughout the week, Lord God. We give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are new with us, we've been in the book of 1 Peter since January. And some of you are thinking, you guys are really slow. Uh, but no, we actually just want to soak up this rich book. If you've been around, you know this is a rich, rich book. Uh, we have addressed some controversial things. We have addressed some impactful things for your life and your relationship with God from the Apostle Peter and what he writes to his audience in that day. And so we're going to get back into that. Uh, if you haven't been with us, a little brief synopsis is we've been talking about the living hope we have in Jesus. That it is imperishable, it is unfading, that it's kept in heaven for you because it's with Jesus. It's because of Jesus, that because Jesus is alive, our hope is alive, amen? So this ties directly into the resurrection. One, because everything does, because without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope. But First Peter ties directly into it specifically because we're talking about hope in the midst of suffering, and so maybe some of you came on Easter and we had a, a big celebration about the hope we have in Jesus and the life we have in Jesus. And now you come back the next Sunday and we're talking about suffering. And maybe you're confused by that, but you need to know that Christianity is all about hope even in the midst of suffering. That First Peter is all about hope even in the midst of suffering. And that we believe and what we've seen, if you've been with us, is that this Suffering and the living hope that we have in the midst of it, it strengthens us, right? It strengthens us. Maybe some of you that have been here for a while and been through this series, you're thinking, suffering again? Haven't we talked about this enough? That's kind of what I thought, to be honest. 
as I studied it this week, like Peter, really, again? God, really, again? But you need to know just a lesson in studying Scripture is that when you see repetition in Scripture, you need to pay attention. And so one of the themes of 1 Peter is suffering. And so as we come to it in chapter 4, we've got a couple weeks left. As we come to it for the last time in this book, there's repetition for a reason. That God's trying to get our attention. That God was trying to get their attention in Peter's day. Some of you that were here earlier on when we addressed suffering, you weren't suffering then, but you are suffering now. Some of you were suffering then, but my sermon didn't fix it. You still are suffering. And so God is bringing us back to this for a reason. So you're here for a reason. It's not by accident. You're here for a reason because in the midst of your suffering, coming out of your suffering, or the suffering you're about to go in, God's equipping you and preparing you for that. And he's strengthening you through it. My wife loves to run. This is one difference between us. One thing we don't have in common because I don't like to run. I'll run because somebody's chasing me. I'll run for exercise. But other than that, I'm good, right? But not my wife. She loves to run. And she's ran two half marathons since we've been married. And I remember the first half marathon she ran. And there was a lot of pain. And there was a lot of hurt. As she began to run and train for this half marathon, if you've ever trained for a race, you, you know that to be true, especially when you're first getting out there. It seems like I'll never be able to do this. I'm never going to be able to run that long. And maybe that's because you're not supposed to run that long, but that's just my theory. <laughs> but you have these thoughts of like, I'm never going to be able to do this. Like, I'm never going to be able to run this long. I'm not going to make it. My muscles are going to get too sore. I'm going to hit my limit. But what would happen? She would keep training, and she would keep training. And in the hurt and in the pain, she would get stronger. And you know what? She ran that first half marathon, and she was amazing. Second half marathon, seven months after having our second child. Strong woman, right? She was hurting. <laughs> she was experiencing pain as she trained for that second half marathon, seven months after having a baby. But she was able to get through it, and she was able to run that half marathon. And you know what? It wasn't as hard as the first time, even after just having a baby, because she had done it before. Her muscles were strengthened, and you know what? Her mind was strengthened. She knew she could do it because she had done it before. And so she's getting ready to run another half marathon, a glutton for punishment. And she's going out and running, and there's a little bit of hurt, and there's a little bit of pain, but she knows, I've done it before, I've done it again, God's going to do it again through me, and she's been strengthened as she trains amidst the hurt, amidst the pain. Suffering is like that for the believer. Suffering is like that for the believer. That when you go through suffering, is there hurt? Yes. Is there pain? Yes. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're thinking, man, Christians, they like to talk about suffering. They, they just put a smile on it. They fake it till they make it. No, I don't like suffering. Nobody in here likes suffering. But God is strengthening us through it, through the hurt and through the pain. That you know this in your life, in your past, as you've gone, as you've gone through suffering and God's brought you through it, you're stronger than you used to be. 
that when you are about to go through another round of it, there's a confidence in your head and in your heart that I'm going to make it through this because God has brought me through once, he's going to bring me through again. You've seen that in your life. Suffering strengthens us, and it does so because Jesus is alive. We know that he's conquered Satan's sin and death and suffering, and that one day things will be made right, and so we can go through it and be strengthened in the midst of it. That because Jesus is alive, hope is alive, even in the midst of suffering. And so today, we're going to look at just a flyover of these verses that Sal just read. We're going to kind of group them together and skip around. It'll be a little bit different than normal. But the two things I want to hit on is this. I want to look at the three types of suffering, and then I want to look at the three responses to suffering. And so let's do that together. We're going to look at a few different verses, like I said. But at first, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 6. We see God look at the earth, and he says it's corrupt. That man has corrupted it with sin and rebellion against God. Fast forward to the New Testament, we see Jesus in John chapter 16. He says a verse a lot of you guys probably know. He says, in the world you will have trouble. Now he says he'll overcome that trouble, but he does guarantee that it will happen. You will have trouble. We see God say it in Genesis. We see Jesus say it in John 16 that we will have trouble. And some of you are thinking, Tim, I don't need you to preach this to me. (laughs) I know this. Like, we don't need to spend much time on this point. Like, I know this. Like, work is hard. The bills pile up. My kids sometimes are crazy. And you know, as you just go through life, that that suffering happens. And the the first type of suffering that we're going to see is that suffering is unavoidable. Christian or not. Things are going well in your life at a time. Things are going bad in your life at a time. You're going to experience suffering at some point. It is unavoidable. Now, there's varying degrees of that. There's suffering when you lose a loved one. It's very weighty and severe. There's suffering in your marriage that sometimes leads you to talk about things like divorce. There's suffering in your relationships where you experience conflict and bitterness and unforgiveness. There's suffering like that. But there's also suffering when you're driving down uh, Central Ave and people actually use the suicide lane and you think, why would anybody install this in our city? There's suffering there too. Just varying degrees. There's suffering when you stub your toe. There's suffering when you're walking down the street and someone doesn't say hi to you and you said hi to them and it's awkward. There's suffering everywhere we go. It's just to varying degrees. And so I know yesterday in our lives there was varying degrees of of, of suffering. There was some some crazy things that happened in our church that we had to address and, and there was some suffering. And there was also, as we got home, some crazy things that happened with our kids, and there was suffering, but they were varying degrees. We got home, we gave my little 10-month-old baby a, a bath, and between the bath and the diaper, she went number two. And some of you are shocked at that, and that's just because you don't have kids. But before we could get the mess cleaned up, she went number two again. And so I was dragging our cute little baby into the bathtub and spraying her down with water 
because there's suffering. There's poop in places it should never be. There's suffering varying degrees, and all of you know this. Whether you have a relationship with God or not, you know this. Something in our world is off. Things don't work like they should. With your body, with your job, with your relationships, things are off, and they're suffering. That's the first type, the unavoidable suffering that happens in our world because it is broken, because it has fallen. We all know that to be true, but Peter makes the distinction. Look at verses 17 and 18 on how we go through that suffering. He says, for it, is a time, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if I, the righteous, or if, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That suffering ultimately exists in the world because of our fallen nature and that everybody experiences it. It is unavoidable, but there's two types of people that experience it. There's the Christian and then there's the non-Christian. There's someone who has Jesus and there's someone who does not have Jesus. And what Peter is saying is if there's a judgment because of our fallen nature, because of the broken nature of this world that we experience, things aren't right, Everybody's going to experience that. And there's going to be some that it's going to destroy, but there's going to be some that it purifies. Do you see that? That for the Christian, there is purification and strengthening through suffering. For the non-Christian, there is only destruction. That it only leads to pain and destruction. And so Peter makes that distinction for us, that there's believers in Jesus who go through suffering... There's righteous who go through suffering, but there's ungodly, there's sinners who go through suffering, and for them it's only destruction. So that's when we have hope, as a believer in Jesus, because we have a living God who is taking us through that suffering for his glory and our joy. There's a distinction between the believer and the non-believer. There's destruction for the non-believer, there's purification for the believer in the midst of unavoidable suffering. Second type of suffering is sinful suffering. Verse 15, look at that verse. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a, a meddler. As we look at that list, maybe some of you are thinking, well, I, I can't relate to the murderer. Maybe you can't relate to the thief or even evildoer. You mean, that's the people on the news. That's the people far off. I'm not those kinds of people. But the reality is you suffer for your sin. Even if you know Jesus, there's consequences to your sin. And just to make sure you know you're included in this list, Peter includes meddler. It's a stark contrast, right? You have murderer, thief, evildoer, meddler. Meddler, somebody who is always in someone else's business. Someone who loves the gossip train. Someone who loves to ask somebody how they're doing just so they can take that information and spread it around. Just because they like to be in the know. Just because they're, they're meddling. Why does Peter include that word in this list? Because he wants to make sure that everyone knows that you experience suffering because of sin. It's not just the murderers. It's not just the thieves. It's not just the evildoers over there. It is you and I. 
that there's going to be suffering because of sin, that there's always two things associated with sin. That there's pain and there's pleasure. You know this, right? Is there pleasure associated with sin? Yeah. That's why we do it. But is there also pain associated with sin? Yes. So you will experience momentary pleasure with sin, but you will experience a lifetime of pain. And and some of you know this. Some of you look back at your past, mistakes you made, decisions you made, relationships that went sideways, choices that you, you made in a moment for pleasure, and now you're experiencing pain. That as you sit here right now, this morning, you can recall that pain. Some of you are still dealing with that pain. Because there's suffering associated with sin that we inflict on ourselves. That we bring to us. And so Peter is saying, that's a type of suffering you don't want to experience. That's a type of suffering you want to run away from. That you want to run away from sin as far as you can. That the pleasure is not worth the pain. Amen? If you've experienced the pain of sin, you would say amen to that. Because you know how painful it can be. There's sinful suffering. The third type of suffering is honorable suffering. You see it in verses 13, 14, and 16. You see it in phrases like share in Christ's suffering. Insulted for the name of Christ. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian... That this is an honorable type of suffering. This is primarily what Peter is going to focus on. This honor that's associated with suffering in the name of Jesus. Verse 16 addresses that most of us don't feel this way. It says, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. That Peter is addressing our tendency to be ashamed in the midst of suffering. Their tendency to be ashamed in the midst of suffering. Remember, Peter is writing to exiles. These are people that are displaced from their home. And there's a chance that some of them were experiencing shame because of that. They're not in their home, in their comfort zone. They're out amongst strangers. People that aren't their family. And there's a chance they're experiencing some shame because of that. And so he addresses that don't be ashamed, but let you glorify God in that name. And this morning, as I look across the room, there's probably some shame associated with suffering in the name of Jesus. Maybe for some of you as college students in your philosophy class. That you sit in your philosophy class and your professor makes you feel belittled. And stupid because you have a belief in Jesus Christ. And you feel some shame with that. Maybe it's at work, guys, when you're in a a situation where there's some unethical plans. Where there's some immoral chatter going on at work. And you excuse yourself. Because you say, I follow Jesus. I don't want to associate with this. And maybe you miss out on a promotion. Maybe at the very least you're ridiculed. Because other people come around you and think, why? Why wouldn't you join in this? Why wouldn't you participate in this business plan? I mean, there's a promotion in there for you. You don't see that? Why why wouldn't you help our business out? And maybe you experience some shame in that. Maybe some of you are here and you have non-Christian family members or friends. And they're not just non-Christians, but they, they ridicule you for believing in Jesus. They talk about things like a crutch. 
They talk about you being weak, like if you need that, that's okay for you, but we're good. And maybe if you have a spouse, maybe if you have a, another family member, maybe if you have a friend, you experience some shame in that when you suffer for the name of Jesus. And Peter is saying, don't be ashamed. Glorify God in the name of Jesus Christ when you experience suffering for him. How do we do that? You see in that passage in verse 16, Peter used the word Christian. What's interesting is this word isn't often used in the Bible. We use it today, but it's only used two other times in the New Testament, and it's both in the book of Acts. And so while we use it a lot, not used a lot in Scripture, but it is used here, and the inherent meaning of Christian is that you follow Christ. It means a lot of things in our day, but the inherent meaning is that you follow Christ. And so how can you glorify God in the midst of suffering for his name? How can you do that? Instead of being ashamed, how can you glorify God when you're ridiculed at work for not joining in that unethical business plan? In your relationships, when people say it's a crutch that you believe in Jesus, when you're in college and your professor makes you feel dumb for believing in Jesus, how can you glorify God in that situation? It's because in that moment, you say unashamedly, I follow Jesus. I follow Christ. I don't follow the ways of this world. My hope is not in this world. My hope is not in my job. My hope is not in whether you like me or not. My hope is not in your approval of me or a grade. And my hope is in Jesus because I follow him. I am a Christian. It's time that we bring some depth and some meaning back to that word. And it's in those moments of suffering, because of Jesus, that you're able to do that. And some of you are thinking through, like, how? How does that happen? You point to the fact that Jesus is better. That, that all of those things that you can experience by succumbing to the world, that you point to the fact that Jesus is better. That I may not get that promotion, but Jesus is better. That we may not talk all the time anymore, but Jesus is better. That I may not get an A in that class, but instead a B, but Jesus is, is better. That you glorify God in the midst of suffering because it's an honorable thing for the Christian when you do that in Jesus' name. Those are the three types of suffering. I want to look at the three responses to suffering. Look at verse 12. We'll go back to the beginning. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. So the first response to suffering is surprise. There's lots of reasons why we're surprised at suffering. Some of it's just because we want to be comfortable. But there's other things in play there, aren't there? Our culture is telling us all the time to be comfortable. Our commercials tell us to be comfortable. Our vacations tell us to be comfortable. And what we see over and over in the Bible is it tells us we're going to suffer. And so how do we merge those two together? How do those two intersect? Well, oftentimes when we do experience suffering, we'll go to the bookstore. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. They're kind of scarce now because of Amazon. But there's actually bookstores, guys. And you can go, and sometimes there's Christian books. You go to a Barnes & Noble, there'll be some Christian books. You go to a Christian book, there'll be some Christian books there, at least in the name. 
And they'll talk about things like the promises of God. Some of them will. Some of them will talk about the blessings of God. And some of those books are good, but a lot of them will focus on a lot of really good things from Scripture. They'll focus on the blessings that we experience because of a relationship with God. They'll focus on health, wealth, and prosperity. And as they list, list off the promises of God and the blessings of God, maybe right out of Scripture, they'll sometimes leave these verses out <laughs> conveniently. And maybe you'll go grab one of those, and then as you experience suffering, you're like, this isn't what the book said. This wasn't in the table of contents. This cancer, this relationship, this destruction in my life, this wasn't in that book. And you're surprised by it, and our culture is surprised by it. It's called the prosperity gospel. That just briefly in summary form, that if you follow Jesus, you will experience blessing. That's the prosperity gospel. You follow Jesus, you experience blessing in every arena of life, forever in your life. And there's one small problem with that, and it's the Bible. You read the Bible. I just think of John the Baptist. I don't know if many of you know the story, but John the Baptist is in prison for proclaiming Jesus. He's in prison. He's about to be executed. And what he does is he sends some people to Jesus to ask him, are you sure you're the Messiah? Because in prison, about to be executed, isn't what I thought in mind when we knew there was going to be a deliverer that would come, right? What happens to John the Baptist? He dies for following Jesus. You think of the disciples Almost all of the disciples died a martyr's death for following Jesus. You think of Jesus himself. Peter talks about sharing in his suffering. He suffered before we ever did. That he was betrayed, beaten, and killed on a cross. We celebrated it on Good Friday. That he suffered that the disciples suffer, that people who follow God suffer. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. Right? But listen, it's out of love that I tell you that. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be surprised. Because it will come. You're either coming out of it, you're in the midst of it, or it's around the corner. And you don't need to be surprised. You need to be prepared to handle it in a Christ-honoring way. And that's what Peter is trying to do for you and I. That's why we're talking about it for the fourth time in this book. Is because we don't want you to be surprised. Peter doesn't want you to be surprised by suffering. He wants you to glorify him through it and experience joy in the midst of it. And that's the second response to suffering. The second response to suffering is sustainable joy. Notice it says that you're rejoicing over all, not re, you're not rejoicing over all suffering. It's a specific type of of rejoicing. It says in verse 13, look at the verse. It says, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. That is, you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And so we don't rejoice over all types of suffering. We don't necessarily rejoice over unavoidable suffering. We don't rejoice for sure over sinful suffering, but we can rejoice over suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. We can have a sustainable joy in the midst of suffering when it is done in the name of Jesus Christ. You see it in the book of Acts chapter 5. Peter, 
with the rest of the disciples. They are experiencing suffering, and, and in fact, they get flogged because of their faith. And in Acts chapter 5, it says they run away rejoicing. After they were just flogged, they run away rejoicing. And we read texts like that, and in our day, it's kind of hard to comprehend. Like, how could that be? How could these guys have a joy after getting beaten in the name of Jesus? You think about it this way. In our culture and maybe in your life, you, you're a part of things. Maybe you're a part of a club. Maybe you're a part of an organization. Maybe if you're in college, you're part of a fraternity. And maybe in that club or in that organization or in that fraternity, there were some things you had to do to get worked into that club to be a member of that organization. And maybe it wasn't that fun and maybe it was hard and maybe your friends are like, why would you do all of that just to have a name back? Why would you do all that just to have a shirt? And maybe you, you wonder, why would I, I do all that just to be a part of this thing? But deep down, you know why you do all that. It's because you want to be a part of something bigger. And so you'll endure, endure some pain. You'll endure some hurt because you get to be a part of something big, bigger. You need to know if you... If you follow Jesus and experience suffering, you're not just part of a club. You're part of the kingdom of God. You're a part of the biggest movement in history. And that when you suffer, you share in Christ's suffering. And it makes it worth it. And because of that, you have joy. And it's sustainable joy. It's not putting a smile on it. It's not faking it till you make it. It's going through difficulty, acknowledging that it is difficult, but Jesus is better. And because of that, we have a sustainable joy. We have to think biblically about suffering. We have to think biblically about suffering, that we have a sustainable joy even in the midst of it. Because that's one of the things we forget most often in, in the midst of it, don't we? I mean, something bad happens in your life, you experience difficulty. Maybe for some of you that was this morning getting ready to come to church. I know here this morning, you can't see it now, but behind this screen, there's another screen, and it drops down and comes back up, and our band is practicing. We're doing a run-through, and that screen just started dropping down on our drums, and we were thinking, why is this happening? That light right there that's shining right now on my face, we were talking up here, that light just went out, and we were thinking, why is this happening? Maybe in your personal life, this morning, coming to church, you had some suffering, and you, your first response is usually, why? Why would all this happen? Why would God be doing this? And what we see in this text is that God has a purpose in the midst of your pain. That God has a purpose in the midst of your pain. Verse 14 says it. It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because... This is the reason. Because that means the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That suffering for the believer is confirmation that the spirit is working in and through you. And so this morning when the screen was falling down, you need to know as a church production team, that's confirmation that God wants to do something big today. Because when we see suffering in our life, as we follow Jesus, not as we do bad things, 
But as we follow Jesus, it's a confirmation that God's doing something. God's preparing you for something. He's making you stronger. And so while the first question we ask is why, the next question we ask is how. God, how do you want me to live through this? How do you want me to walk through this for your glory? What are you trying to teach me through this? So when you experience suffering, ask why. We all do that. But the next question you need to ask is how. How is your spirit going to work in me and through me to accomplish your will? How is he going to do that for us as a church? How is he going to do that for you personally? We need to ask how. As we do that, we can rejoice because it's then we can see that God is refining us through our suffering. It's then we can rejoice that we're his, that it's confirmation we know God, that we're sharing with Christ in our sufferings, that we can rejoice that the pain of our present pales in comparison to the provision of our future. You saw this on Easter. On Easter, we celebrated baptism, someone going from death to life. So we had four people celebrate that. And I got to talk with them all. We had a, a baptism team that got to talk with these guys and girls who got baptized. And here's what didn't happen in those conversations. They didn't say, everything's gone well for me. I want to follow Jesus. Let me get baptized. They didn't say that. They had a past. They had past suffering and struggle. And they began to talk about that. But they began to talk about how Jesus worked in and through that. And in fact, some of them came to know Jesus in the midst of their suffering. And so when they go down in the water and we reflect on the death of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, and even their suffering, and they come out, we celebrate that there's victory because Jesus used all of that for his glory and their joy. That's why for baptisms, we sang the song, Amazing Grace. The dangers toils and snares that they have come, but grace is amazing. That God works through all of that to change us and to make us new. And therefore, we can have a sustainable joy in the midst of suffering. You can have a sustainable joy in the midst of suffering. The third response to suffering is surrender. Verse 19, it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The third response is surrender. He says, entrust your soul. How can Peter say that? Because you're entrusting yourself to a faithful creator. God is faithful. It's his character. It's really difficult for a lot of us to do this, right? It's difficult for a lot of us to surrender because most of us prefer a negotiation. We'll say things to God like, God, if you'll get me out of this, then I will do this for you. Have you ever said that? In the midst of victory, sometimes we'll be happy with God. and God, I'm happy to surrender to you. I'll go anywhere you tell me to go. And then God tells you to go somewhere, and you say, well, I didn't mean anywhere. Not anywhere, anywhere. I was thinking of some specific places in mind. And so we often like to negotiate instead of surrender with God. And so we'll go through a negotiation. We'll come over on this side and things will be going well for us. We'll be like, Jesus, you and me, we're great. This is awesome. I'll surrender to you. And we kind of push Jesus off the throne a little bit. Like, I'm kind of running this show. Things are going great. And then something bad happens. You don't get that promotion at work. Somebody ridicules you for your faith. Something bad happens in school. 
And in that moment, you began to negotiate. God, I need, I need your help. Get this out of my life. If you will get this out of my life, I will follow you. And then maybe he, he gets it out of your life. And you kind of move back over to this place, and you're like, Jesus, me and you, we're doing great. This is awesome. And maybe you kind of budge Jesus out of his throne a little bit more. And then something happens again. And you negotiate, and you're like, Jesus, come on, let's get back to that place. If you'll just do these things, I'll do these things. Everything's going to be great again. Why can't we get back to that place? But oftentimes we prefer negotiation to surrender and and in fact, that many of us, instead of surrendering completely to the God, we'll just select a new God. That in that negotiation process, maybe things don't end up going right again, and we'll say, Jesus, I'm done with you. You're not abiding by your end of the contract. I'm done with you. I'm going to find a new God. You see that in the Israelites in the Old Testament where they would create and build golden calves because literally they could push those around. They could roll those around and they could control those gods. And I've never driven by some of your houses and seen a golden calf in your yard, but I know a lot of us have golden calves in our hearts. We have golden calves in our hearts that they're called idols, that idols are good or bad things that become ultimate things, that become in the place of Jesus. And we begin to select those new gods instead of surrendering to the God. And they're things like money and power, that for a while we'll negotiate success with God in his his realm, in his ways. And if we don't get it, we'll think, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to build my golden calf in my heart of, of money and power and success. I'm going I'm to do whatever it takes to get ahead in my life and ahead in my job and in my career. And that becomes an idol in your heart. And you've selected a new God because the God didn't cor- correspond to your negotiation. He didn't cooperate. That we select other gods like approval and acceptance, which isn't bad in and of itself. But you begin to dress physically or dress a certain way and physically try to look a certain way to, to gain that approval. Because you think, then I'll be fulfilled. And we do that with pride. And we think, man, all that time praying, all that time reading, where did it get me? I'll just do this thing myself. What is that for you? How have you not surrendered to the God, but instead selected a new God? And while you may not have a golden calf in your yard, it's in your heart. And you go back to it. When God doesn't cooperate with your negotiations, listen, you need to know, Christian, you need to know that you'll never completely rest until you completely surrender, especially in the midst of suffering. You see some people who are going through all kinds of stuff. We have friends like this. They're going through all kinds of stuff. They're moving. All these things are going on in their lives, and they seem so peaceful. They seem to be resting. How does that happen? It's because they've surrendered to God that instead of giving God instructions They're actually praying. They're actually asking God, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Instead of negotiating, they're actually surrendering to him. That's where rest is found. Because God is a faithful creator. 
He knows what's best for you better than you and I ever could. And it's when you surrender to him that you experience rest and joy. We need to take those steps this morning. Here's how we do that. In suffering, I'm just going to give you three things to live this out. The first one is this. Don't just see it as opposition. See it as opportunity. Don't just see it as opposition. See it as opportunity. And so that you would see it as Peter sees it, as God sees it in this passage, as an opportunity to rejoice, a blessing, and an opportunity to glorify God. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says the God of comfort is comforting you in your suffering so that you can go and comfort others. That it's not just opposition, it's an opportunity. And many of you know this in your life. As you've had friends who are going through suffering, sometimes they blessed you in your life. Because they saw it as an opportunity to proclaim Jesus, that he is better. Some of you in your life, you've gone through an intense suffering And somebody came to you later and just said, I really appreciate the way you handled that. I really appreciate the way you exalted God in the midst of that. And it meant a lot to them. It's an opportunity to make a difference. It's not always just opposition. And we need to see it that way. That God is preparing you to comfort others. He's not abusing you. He's trying to use you even in the midst of suffering. That's the first thing. The second thing is find sustainable joy upward and outward. Notice that Peter doesn't tell you just to suffer. He says to share in the suffering of Jesus. To do that, you need to look to Jesus. You need to draw close to him. You need to move upward, move your eyes upward so you can be reminded that he can relate to this, that he's with you in the midst of this, and you can experience sustainable joy through that. And you need to move outward. Oftentimes in suffering, we don't do this. We move towards isolation. We move inward. And what happens? We just sink deeper in our pain. But we need to move outward. You need other people. You need to be in a community group. You need friendships that are going to come alongside you in the midst of your suffering. You see it in Exodus 17 with Moses. They're fighting a battle. And the way God set it up is that when Moses would raise his staff up high, they would be winning that battle. And as you read Exodus 17, you see eventually his hand gets weary. But he has friends come alongside him and they put a stone under him and he takes a seat. And then they help him raise his hand and raise his staff when he can't do it by himself. You see that in Exodus 17, you see that in your life. When people come around you to help you in a moment of suffering, you find sustainable joy in that, don't you? Because you're not alone. The people put that stone under you. You take a seat and they lift your hands for a while. Some of you are tired. Some of you are frustrated in the midst of your suffering. Some of you want to quit. It's in those times that you need other people to raise your hands when you cannot. And that's where we find sustainable joy when we look upward and outward. Who are those people in your life? If you're thinking, I don't have those people, I don't know who those people would be, we have a community group board that has places all throughout the valley. That's what those are for, for you to do that with each other. That's what happens in those groups. You need to find one. You need to take the leap and get in one as we find sustainable joy upward and outward. The third thing, the final thing is we need to trust in the eternal while obeying in the present. 
Trust in the eternal while obeying in the present. Notice in verse 19, he says, and trust your souls. That as Christians, our earthly body isn't as good as it gets. Some of you want to say amen to that, but you think it might be awkward. Your earthly body is not as good as it gets, amen? amen. This isn't it. That at one point, Jesus is going to return and make all things right. That there will be no suffering, there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain. That you will have a new body and you won't suffer. And so you entrust your souls because your soul is eternal. Your body's not. You entrust your souls, your eternal self, to your faithful creator. And that while you're doing that, you obey him. When it makes sense and when it doesn't, you obey him. You do good. You entrust yourself to Jesus, your eternal self, and you do good even in the midst of suffering. These are simple ways we can begin to live this out. We have hope. First Peter, we're going through this again. We have a hope that is alive because Jesus is alive. That it is there to strengthen us as we go through suffering. And that even in the midst of that suffering, our hope can be strengthened. And we can glorify God because of it. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this opportunity to look again at suffering and the hope we have even in the midst of it. God, help us to, to walk in that hope. Help us to walk in the strength that you provide. God, help us to take those steps in our relationships, in our job, in our home, that in the midst of suffering, we would look to you, that we would look to others, and we would hope and trust in you. God, help us to do that. I pray that over these men and women that may be in some difficult situations now, that you would help them to begin to walk in this. You would give them your amazing grace, even in this moment, that would allow them and enable them to live victoriously and joyfully, even in the midst of suffering. And God, as we sing, that we would celebrate that the only reason why we can endure suffering, the only reason why we can defeat it is because you defeated death on the cross. Because you are alive, hope is alive for us, for the men and women in this room. Help us to celebrate that. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.